worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 15th of April 2019 and this is episode 109. On today's programme, Dr Bill Stewart talks about the Canadian Corps' Operation Delta in 1918 and how it shaped operations during the Hundred Days Offensive. I spoke to Bill from his home in Ottawa. Hi Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Can you start by giving us a brief background of your career and how you became interested in the Great War? Well, thank you. Uh, I had a 30-year career in high tech and I decided that I've always had an interest in the in the Great War and I wanted to pursue it further. So I did a PhD at the University of Birmingham in 2012. And since then, I've published multiple articles and two books. The first was on a controversial Canadian a general in the First World War, Richard Turner, and the second book that we talked about was on the Canadian campaign on the Somme in 1916. So last time, as you said, we talked about uh, the Canadians on the Somme, and today we're going to discuss the Canadian Corps in 1918, and specifically Operation Delta. Um, before we begin, can you tell us about the size, structure, and nature of the Canadian Corps, and how it was different from British formations in the final year of the war? Certainly. So uh, up to uh, 1918, the Canadian Corps, consisting of four divisions, a semi-independent force that tended to fight together, was essentially identical to a similar British formation. But in 1918, there started to be some significant divergences. So first, the Canadians retained the four-battalion brigade. They also added an extra 100 men per battalion. They added an engineer brigade with three battalions so that during active operations, Canadian infantry uh, fought, rested or trained. They did not have to provide working parties. They had more trucks. They had a a a category men capable of fighting at the front line. As a result, Canadian uh, truck units could operate around the clock. They had additional field artillery. They had more machine guns. There was a large number of of, uh, differences, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll just talk about one, which seems rather prosaic, but I think captures the rather lavish nature of the Canadian Corps, and that's typewriters. So today, typewriters are passe, but in 1918, they're cutting-edge technology. They're hard to obtain. They're expensive. Uh, In uh, August 1918, there was a higher percentage of Canadian battalions were using typewriters to type up their war diaries than British divisions. Not by a large margin, but I can think that kind of captures uh, sort of the wealth and uh, lavish nature of uh, what the Canadians had to work with. Now, today we're going to talk about Operation Delta. Now, few people, including me, had not heard this until you talked about it at a conference we were both at um, last year. It was uh, in 2018. Can you, can you start by telling us what it was, what its objectives were, uh, and why you're interested in it? So Operation Delta was a reaction to the German success in their April offensive that uh, recaptured Passchendaele Ridge, uh, threatened Hasselbrook. And in the south, they got within range or long range uh, artillery range of Bethune, which held 70 percent of the remaining French coal reserves. And so it was a strategic objective to push the Germans back from this to stop threatening and and, uh, interfering with uh, coal production. So the plan uh, first proposed in late April, uh, ran through May and June, was never executed, but the intent was to drive the Germans back. And why it's of interest is that in many ways it presaged the operation at uh, Amiens, had a lot of the same characteristics. The There was going to be um, no preliminary barrage uh, or bombardment, 
the artillery was not going to be pre-registered. Canadians would enter the line just shortly before the attack. It was a heavy emphasis on surprise. And the objective was to push the Germans back to the uh, Lys River, about uh, 8,500 yards. So it had a lot of those same characteristics. And what I was interested in is that it was often referenced in documents that the Canadians were talking about how they used it as a mechanism to transform the Canadian military uh, and their approach to attack from what they were doing in 1917 to what they were doing in 1918. Now, as you say, um, they didn't um, actually implement Operation Delta. Why was why didn't that actually come to pass in the spring of 1918? Well, the primary reasons the Canadians were going to be the main part of the battle, and Haig was very concerned about uh, potential German offensives. And so until he was satisfied the Germans had used up the reserves, he would not commit the Canadians. And by the time uh, that had arrived, the, the need for uh, the, the Delta operation had kind of changed, and instead the Canadians were used at Amiens. Now, what, what you're saying is really quite interesting is that Operation Delta seems to suggest that the, the Canadians are fighting in a different way in 1918 as, as opposed to fight the way they fought in 1917. Is this the case? Very much so. If you take a look, it's almost as if it's two different armies. And this is, applies to the British uh, as well. If you take a look at the operations at Passchendaele, they're characterized by long bombardments, uh, pre-registration of artillery, a slow tempo of four to seven days between the attacks, careful preparations, rehearsals, intelligence gathering. And when you take a look at operations in 1918, it's surprise. It's no preliminary bombardments. It's no pre-registration of artillery. It's use of tanks. It's density of fire support, about half of what you see in 1917. Troop density, about a third of 1917. And the tempo is measured in hours. In one case, in the Second Battle of Arras, Canadian division attacked with six and a half hours notice versus four days during the operations at, at Passchendaele. Obviously, this suggests that training had changed massively in preparation for Operation Delta. What sort of factors shaped the, the way that the Canadians were preparing in, in the early 19 for Operation Delta and obviously subsequent operations in 1918? Yeah, there was a, a number of very important influences. Uh, first is obviously the Operation at Cambrai that featured uh, uh, focus on surprise, tanks, uh, no preliminary bombardment, pre or, uh, using predictive fire for artillery. There was also the German success during the uh, spring offensives. The commander of the First Army, which was supposed to run Operation Delta, made an explicit reference that the Germans have taught us we do not need long preliminary bombardments. There was also uh, GHQ released a series of manuals, uh, most important of these being SS-135 and SS-204 on tank cooperation, that set the doctrinal uh, groundwork for this this change. So it explained how things were to to occur. Canadians also did some of their own doctrinal development. Nothing significantly different from what the British were doing. More of a variation on a theme. And the final one was something that was very important to the Canadians was uh, looking at captured German documents. GHQ issued a number of these called Notes on Recent Fighting. And there was one specifically, number 14, where it was a translated German order on how to defeat a machine gun zone. And Curry, the commander of the Canadian Corps, sent that to each of his division commanders and said he wanted each battalion to run an exercise based on the precepts in that document. Just interested in the 
idea of artillery bombardment and how that changes between 1917 uh, and 1918. You talked about predictive fire and things like that. Could you explain um, for the listeners and also for me what exactly this change in artillery tactics had? Up to uh, late 1917, typically to get accuracy with an artillery, you had to do what's called register it. So you would fire at a position and an observer on the ground or in the air would say, okay, you need to uh, increase by 100, drop by 100, left so much. And that way, a single gun could register an entire battery. But in the process of doing this, it became pretty obvious that there was an attack brewing. Because if you had hundreds of guns or hundreds of batteries, it's pretty clear that something big is happening. With predictive fire, you're essentially firing off a map. So you need to have an accurate representation of where the artillery piece is, where the enemy is located, and then you also have to understand the variations in that the shell is going to go when it gets fired. So there's meteorological considerations, there's lot numbers, the wear on the barrel. So before you do this, you have to go through a whole set of uh, procedures to be able to ensure that you're going to get a relatively accurate. It's not as accurate as uh, observe fire, but you can get close enough, and the surprise factor is immense, That uh, such as MENs. What was a quiet sector suddenly opens up with literally hundreds of guns opening fire with a fair degree of accuracy. Now, back to Operation Delta. So they, these Canadians planned this operation and obviously didn't implement it. What did the Canadian military leadership learn from these preparations? What was critical about a Delta is that the three of the four Canadian divisions were pulled out of the line and they were put through a rigorous course of open warfare training. So it's one thing to have all of these doctrinal statements and, you know, people can read it, but it's it's a, there were three major hurdles that had to be overcome. The first was the um, officers and to a certain extent the men had to overcome the lessons of trench warfare. So you had to get away from all of those hard-learned lessons from 16 and 17. One Canadian division commander called it a millstone around the necks of officers. Then you had to run this new doctrine, but you had to do it you know, at a slow speed so everyone could understand what their role was, what their responsibilities were, because more and more responsibility was pushed down on more and more junior ranks. So they had to become comfortable with that. And then you had to run it at battle speed. So you had to run it at the tempo of not days of preparation, but hours of preparation. And so what Delta allowed the Canadian Corps to do is to run a series of exercises that ran from platoon all the way up to multi-brigade level, where they could inculcate this doctrine, they could test it, they could train for it, and that the senior commanders could enforce it. Because when they ran these exercises, representatives from staff and from uh, command would sit in and observe and then in the afterwards would do a critique of, well, you did this right, you did that wrong. So there was a feedback mechanism so that units became more and more proficient. And one of the advantages of this prolonged uh, training period is that it wasn't just the infantry that got open warfare training. It was the artillery, signals, engineers, machine guns, even the medical corps, because everything's different. You're talking not hundreds of yards of ground gain, but thousands of yards. So it just changes the whole nature. And the Canadians had this immense advantage, or at least three of the divisions, of being able to train at uh, a level where you have multi multiple brigades at a time uh, running one of these exercises. And then how did these lessons that the Canadians learned shape the way that they actually conducted operations during the final offensive from August to the end of the war? They were absolutely critical. Over and over again, you read in the war diaries and after action reports is 
you know, this this turned out to be just exactly what we uh, trained for when we were training for Operation Delta. These were exactly like the maneuvers that we ran. They still needed, there were still things to learn, but they had gotten uh, an understanding of what or pretty open warfare was about. And Delta and that training that they conducted was absolutely crucial to being able to run this uh, higher tempo. And it's interesting that the one division that did not get an opportunity to conduct this open warfare training was slower than the others. So for, during second arras, it was attacking uh, about five hours after a division right beside it. So it just needed more time to get things uh, squared away and start running. And it's because they did not get that opportunity to train. And were the Canadians during the 100 days um, offensive, as it's become known, were they significantly different from the British uh, during this time? I think you have to be careful about, you know, uh, waving the Canadian flag too much. I, I don't want to. But there was an advantage. The Canadian divisions are just so much larger and stronger. They hit more powerfully. They, can, they are more resilient. They have more stamina than British formations that tend to um, fade away far more rapidly. And the trend of the Canadians that I think was a really important difference. So, for instance, the 51st Highland Division served with the Canadian Corps for four days during the Second Battle of Arras. It had been smashed in uh, the March Offensive again in April. It suffered heavy casualties in July. And when it reached the Canadian Corps, it was brought up to strength. But it was conducting individual training. Uh, it didn't have enough time to get beyond musketry, drill, and marching. Whereas Canadian uh, divisions are doing multi-brigade maneuvers, there's an enormous advantage in their ability to conduct these operations rapidly and keep the Germans on their back foot. And one question I should have asked earlier was the name Operation Delta. That seems a really um, modern application of sort of names for operations in terms of Second World War Operation Overlord, Operation Dynamo, etc. Why did they give it that name? Well, I think it was a, a reaction to being able to refer to uh, a particular action. It just becomes that much easier. You have the, the Germans who had adopted that practice. As far as I know, there was only one previous instance of this. It was an Operation Hush which was a never-run um, operation to invade the coast of Belgium, assuming that the uh, Passchendaele Offensive was uh, successful. So it was a way of masking what was going on, because security starts becoming far more important, uh, recognizing the German success at uh, uh, in their spring offensive, as well as Cambrai. It becomes much easier to be secretive if you've got a code name for something, because if it, even if the name gets out, no one understands what it's linked to. Finally, Bill, where can people learn more about Operation Delta? Well, I have an article in Canadian Military History. You can just do a, a Google search on it. It's on the um, Laurie, Wilfrid Laurier University site. It's uh, volume 27, issue two, and its title is The Most Vivifying Influence, Operation Delta in Preparing the Canadian Corps for the 100 Days. And one final point, that's open access so people can read it. Absolutely. It's free and uh, I encourage everyone to take a look at it if they're interested. Bill, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Tom. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman, 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>